Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Alice Living, best-selling author, personal trainer, and host of Give Me Strength, where we discuss the positives of living a stronger life physically and mentally with the hope to inspire you to do the same. Welcome to Give Me Strength. So my guest today is um, an absolutely incredible woman and someone I've actually wanted to have on the podcast since we first started series one. So I'm really excited that I have her here today. Um, She is three times the winner of the London Marathon, three times winner of the New York Marathon, one time winner of the Chicago Marathon, previously fastest woman of all time uh, over the marathon distance, which is absolutely incredible. And also the BBC Sports Personality of the Year winner. She is none other than Paula Radcliffe. And I am so excited to have you here today. How are you doing, Paula? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? It's an honour to be here. Thank you. Oh, no, I'm, I'm so grateful. I'm really good, thank you. And um, I actually wanted to start by just sort of taking you back I know that um, you started running when you were very young, but I'd love to hear, I know that it was sort of in the family. I know that your dad and your mum were both involved with running, but how did you start your sort of running career and, and your love for running really? Um, well, I hope my easiest answer is that I can't actually remember a time when I wasn't running. <laughs> um, so I, I think I just, I just loved the way that running made me feel. Even before I realised there was anything competitive in it, um, just the fact of it just running along as a small kid, I really enjoyed. I saw my dad training uh, and taking part in marathons. And so I was inspired by that side of it, the fun of, of mass participation, road racing. And I joined um, an athletics club when I was nine. And I was very lucky to have a great team and a lot of friends there as well. So it became also my social side as well as my competitive outlets. And a lot of my goals came through that way. So it kind of developed uh, as that. So my dad was very much an introduction to it. He had raced at school and then he'd given up and then he'd started back again. And so he really encouraged me to stick with it um, if that was what I wanted to do uh, and gave me little pointers kind of to win little school races and things when I was little, but generally just supported me getting me to places. Um, My mum only started to run when she got fed up driving us down to the athletics club every night <laughs> yep. and then just sitting there waiting with the other mum. So they started going for a run together. So she actually came to it later and being introduced through us. Um, um, but she was a cross-country team manager for a long time at Bedford County. So it kind of kept it in the family. So it was almost like my parents were there at the races, but they weren't there just for me. Yeah. Um, so all of the pressure wasn't kind of on me. It was on just enjoying it and, and just doing the best that you could. And that was something that my dad always kind of really stressed that the yeah. important thing is that you enjoy it and you have fun with it. Definitely. I think it's really interesting as well that you picked up on the social side of of any sport, to be honest. And I actually think that's something that really keeps people engaging in yeah. sport in a meaningful way. It's not just, you know, like you said, it's great to move our bodies. We all know that that does feel good and it makes us feel great. But actually the social connection, I think particularly with running, if you look at things like, park run, running events, the things that people really get from that is not just necessarily the challenge they put through the, the, themselves through, but also the people they connect with along the way. 
And I think it's so interesting that that was such a crucial part of your sort of early start and in running. And that was really what almost kept you there in a way. Yeah. And I think it's really important. I think particularly for girls, but, but for all kids growing up, it has to be fun and they have to have a group that they enjoy being with. Yeah. Um, and you're also with a, a group of other kids that have similar habits to you. Um, they enjoy doing similar things, which is why you're there in the first place. So I found that my best friends and the friends that I could trust and rely on the most were probably through sport rather than at school. Um, and it was always a choice and it should always be a choice to, to take part in sport, whereas school you have to go to and you're there with the class and you're there with whoever you're with. But it's a choice um, in sport. Uh, and I think that we're very privileged to have that choice. And that's why I think it's really key that kids get the opportunity to try lots of different sports, to find the one that they enjoy and the one that that social side and the friends are there for as well, because that's what's going to keep them going when it maybe isn't going so well in the sport. If your friends are there, they'll still keep you going. Definitely. And I think, you know, it's so interesting that you talk about PE at school because I hated PE at school. And like, I can't believe now that I have a career in some ways in sport because I just hated that kind of, I wasn't into netball. I wasn't on any teams. I didn't really excel at anything that they did. So I think you're absolutely right. You know, that like the more that kids can engage in sport inside school is a great way to kind of dip your toe in the water. But I guess outside of school is where you really get that kind of, you know, you've made a choice to be there and actually if you enjoy it and you have friends there it makes so much more of a difference yeah definitely and also i think school tends to be because of the nature of it it has to be more geared towards team sports and we're not all team players it doesn't mean it can't be social as we've said yeah. running is extremely social but no. it's an individual sport and you don't have to have great hand-eye coordination <laughs> yeah. you don't have to be um good with it with a ball uh, and aiming particularly um it can be lots of different things and so you don't have to be the last one there waiting to get picked and you don't have to rely on anyone else you can get out there and do it yourself definitely now i read that in your first race at national level you came 299th out of 600 and, and then five. you went <laughs> uh, yeah and then you went on to to come fourth in the same race just one year later and i think for me that was such an amazing thing to read because I think so many people really beat themselves up when they start something and they're not instantly good at it. You know, I see it with weight training. I see it with running, even with myself. You know, I sometimes go out for a run and I'm not a runner. And I find the first few kilometers so difficult. And I'm like, oh God, I'm rubbish at this. But actually to read that about you and then to hear that, you know, in, this, in the space of a year, obviously you showed talent for it, but in the space of a year, you went on to improve so much. I just wondered kind of what happened in that year? What was your catalyst that really took you from going from not really winning and not coming close to actually being, you know, someone who really excels in their sport. What was almost the kind of catalyst for you for that? Well, there are a number of things. First of all, I have to clarify, it was the under 13 girls. So I was a bottom year under 13 when I finished okay. 299. So the, all the girls that were a year older than me moved up. So I became the eldest in the age group. So that definitely helped. <laughs> um, and then the second thing was actually on the way back from that race. So I'd been really happy because I was in the top half of the field. And I was a bottom year. It was my first race for my new club. Uh, and we actually went home thinking, okay, this was good. There are things that I can improve on. My mum and dad, we, are, we were new to it. So I think we arrived about an hour before the race, didn't have time to walk the course, spent about half an hour of that queuing for a toilet and then getting over to, to the start. So it was very much chuck me in the deep end and see what I could do. Cool. Um, I'd never run in a race that big before. And then afterwards, my coach um, said to my mom, uh, I'm trying to get a team together to win the team title next year. And I wondered if Paula would be able to come down to the track twice a week instead of once a week. So on a Tuesday and Thursday nights, so just Tuesday nights. 
Um, and so she said to him, well, why are you asking me? Ask her, it's her sport. And um, so the fact that he thought I was good enough to make the team was enough for me to say, okay, I like this. He thinks I can be good enough. I'm going to ditch judo, which I was going to on a Thursday night, and I'm going to go to athletics twice a week. And we had a great group of girls. We were really good friends. And we trained hard, building up for that all year. And then we did win the team title, and I was our second scorer home, uh, and I finished fourth. So that, for me, was a very early um, indication that if you prepare for something and you work hard for something – then you will you will get better results. Yeah, um, and also it was spread on the team, so there was never a huge pressure. Like you have to finish mm-hmm. in this position. We were all running, and in the race we were all looking around, thinking, "Okay, we need to help because everyone else is running really well, so we need to run really well to be right. able to win the team." Do you think there's an element of one of that uh, with that is um, having someone who really believes in you? Mm-hmm. I think absolutely. The main, you know, like when I was younger and when I was tra- I trained as a dancer previously, and I think that the thing that really helped me confidence wise was that I was never the best but as soon as someone really showed belief in me and showed that they just wanted me to get better that was almost like okay I'm going to work really hard now for them Um, and I think it sounds like you had that with your coach yeah absolutely I mean so much Alex such a a a great coach um because I think he really understands the individuals um spends a lot of time researching what works best for each individual athlete we would go around to his house sometimes on a Sunday afternoon, um, you know, I don't know what it would have been in the 80s, and there would literally just be bits of paper all over the living room floor. And each girl would have their own different schedule working out because everybody is a bit different. And it would obviously come together for the training sessions. We right. would all train together, but it would be tailored to them. Uh, and then the, one of the most important things was it, you never stop learning. So you always learn something, even from, from a bad race and from a, a good race, you learn something. So as long as you keep learning, you keep moving forward to so never be afraid to to learn, to admit that you were wrong there uh, and to learn. And trust your instincts was a big thing with Alec. So he used to say, this is how I can recommend that you run the race. But at the end of the day, it's you out there racing it. And you're the one that's going to have to react to different things that I can't predict in that race in the split second, so you've got to get good at doing that. Yeah. Um, and so that was something that he taught us to to ask for help, to accept help, but also to be able to do it on our own and to make those decisions and to trust yourself to, to be able to do that. So to trust the process and to trust actually your your call in the race. Yeah. I think at the end of the day, isn't it, that you, you know your body better than anyone else. So you have to go with that gut instinct of like, where am I at? How is my okay. body feeling? You know, you can get all the guidance in the world, but ultimately it comes down to you and whether you're right and ready for whatever race you're doing, whatever event you're doing. I'd love to know the process of how you go from being a club runner, really enjoying it, you know, starting to take it a bit seriously to really then performing on the world stage. I mean, your career was just incredible. I only read out some of your achievements at the start, but you really have done so much, you know, in your time. And I'd love to know that process. I guess who was around you? How did it really build? When was the moment that you sort of went, I can do this really seriously? And also, I think ultimately what, we, what we've what we come to know about really successful sports people is the, the amount of sacrifice that goes along with choosing that as a career, you know, what you have to give up in order to say, this is where I want to go and this is what I want to do. Um, so I'd love to hear about almost that, that, that process and that journey. I think for me, well, I think it was a really gradual process. Um, and I actually don't think it was a huge sacrifice. Really? Um, no, because it never felt like I was making a huge... Obviously, there were sacrifices, 
I had to make. I couldn't see my family as much. I couldn't go to family weddings. I couldn't go to friends things. Couldn't go to university things. But the gain that I was getting out of it was more important to me than what I felt like I was missing out. So I never felt like I was missing out. And I think if it had ever got to the point where I really felt like I almost resented running because I was missing out somewhere else, then that for me would have been the time to to stop. Um, So I think the fact that it was a gradual process, the fact that we did have a strong team, so a huge social aspect in my team and at training nights. Um, And I was very close to, still am very close to my coach uh, and kind of got on with him there. And or he was always like second dad to me and kind of part of the family there. Um, my mum and dad would always go out with them at major events and, and things like that. So it really felt like it was kind of an extension of my hobby for yeah. a long time. But actually thinking about it, it was I was already kind of a professional athlete, but I wasn't. I was still mm. a student. Um, so I didn't need to be I didn't have that pressure of you have to be successful because this is how your income's coming in, because it was just kind of an added bonus. Yeah. Um, so I think that helped to, to keep the pressure off me a little bit there. And certainly the fact, the fact that you enjoy it and it's something that you want to do mm-hmm. is what keeps you going when you get the setbacks. Do you find the transition or did you find the transition from running nationally and, and being in this country to then suddenly being on a world stage, having lots of attention on you? Did you find that fine? Were you actually, was it quite enjoyable or was it almost like, oh my God, this is really intense? And also I sort of, I always think to myself, you know, I'm guessing this was in a time before social media. So you probably didn't have all of that noise around you, but it maybe meant that like the actual, you know, intensity of the race was maybe greater, you know, doing loads of media interviews and, you know, people want your time and you having to focus on, on, on now being on a world stage. Did you find that difficult? Um, well, if I first do the the going abroad, I actually yeah. I loved I loved going to race internationally. I was I mean my first ever international race was an Ekita relay in Hawaii. Oh my god! So, I mean, how can you not enjoy that when you're like <laughs> and you're getting sent over New Year? We had New Year twice because we flew and we experienced it in the air. Um, so that for me was like okay, I want more of this because this Very is nice. great. So if I run well, I get more trips like that. So I don't think I felt like it was pressure. I just thought it was an amazing opportunity. Um, I studied languages. I loved languages. I, I've always loved traveling and visiting new places. So this just felt like, okay, this is great. I can get something out of my running and I can tick off the other things that I enjoy doing as well. And I think, again, it was a really gradual process. And my first introduction to proper international racing, I guess, was the World Cross Country in 1991 when I finished 15. Um, and then Alec and I went back and we kind of made plans and he'd studied the, the split times of the girl who'd won the race and we trained to that all winter to try and get a medal the following year. Um, and then we got out to Boston and it snowed and the course was way different and way slower um, than it had been the previous year. But I, I won that one. So that was a really big, important step for me in terms of saying, okay, if I want to do this professionally, I think I'm good enough now. That was kind of the the tick off it. I still need to make that transition from good junior to good senior. Yeah. But the potential is there if I do it and I work hard enough at it and I've certainly got a good enough team around me to, to be able to do that. So I think that really, really helped. And in terms of the social media, I think that certainly is an element that makes it harder today. I mean, my first introduction was actually through my um, agents at the time 
uh, who actually looked after a lot of footballers. And they basically just put me in a room in front of a camera and someone just threw awkward questions at me for a couple of hours. And that was my media training. Um, oh, it was probably ahead of its time then because that was, yeah. I was doing that in 1992, which was yeah. massive. I do think it's an added pressure. And I think if you look at athletes these days, they have to be media people first. And, you know, they have to be so good on camera. They have to answer questions. They're so scrutinized on such a higher level now. Um, it is a whole other facet that they have to navigate. And if you're already trying to navigate, a, you know, a challenging career, you know, if you only look at things like the Olympics as a, as a recent example of, you know, the vast array of athletes that went out there and all of them have to be sort of, you know, not only performing to the highest level in their sport, but then also navigating a social media journey while they're out there as well. And I can see how it can be very distracting and actually really hard to deal with as well, particularly if things don't go right for you or if you have a bad race or you have a bad event, you know, the kind of the backlash from that that you can get is is terrible so I can imagine it to be really distracting and that actually leads me on to my next question really about mindset I think that for me one of the things that I'd love to understand from you is is I could admire the physical strength and I think obviously it takes incredible physical strength to do what you did but I think when it comes to endurance events, it really is the mindset that fascinates me. It's how you get yourself into a mentality. You know, I've seen you run some of your races when perhaps you're not, but maybe you look as though you're struggling through injury or you're in pain. You are feeling challenged by the conditions, for example. You know, what are you saying to yourself and what is the mindset that you've had to coach yourself to get into that allows you to overcome something that would make me definitely go, I'm going to stop now? <laughs> Um, well, I think first, I actually love a challenge. Yeah. Um, and I embrace the challenge. Um, and so I think that is really important. It's not like, I hate that. I, I don't want to feel like I'm up against something. I actually quite like that feeling um, of being under pressure and having to, to sort things out um, and kind of be stimulated in that way to try and figure things out. I like problems I've got a logical brain so I like trying to sort things out or work things out and it was not a game but it, it kind of felt like a, a game challenge for me racing because it's, it is just something that you've got to figure out and you've got to yeah. kind of work with your body you've got to work out what your strengths are what other people's weaknesses are um, how to figure in factors and elements on the day uh, that can change and adapt to those yeah and also not take it too seriously. At the end of the day, it is just sport. Um, and nothing really, really serious is going to happen if I don't win at the end of the day. It's just that I'm going to be disappointed. Um, and once you kind of get past that, then it's not that you've got nothing to lose because you've got a lot to lose because you don't want to be disappointed. And it is important to you and you have to have those nerves. Otherwise, I don't think you can perform. Right. But also kind of keeping that sense of perspective in there, I think, is quite important to... Um, it is just sport and it is, as my dad used to say, it's meant to be fun. So if you're not enjoying it, kind of get out. Um, so the pressure does sometimes stop you enjoying it as much. Um, okay. but usually that's because of external things like injuries yeah. rather than just the pressure of it being a big race. Mm. I think, um, you know, one of the messages that you keep saying, you know, over and over again is you have to enjoy it and it has to be fun. And I think with any exercise, that's always been my messaging is like, unless you're, you know, enjoy not enjoying it, if you're hating every second, if it doesn't feel fun, choose something else. It's not yeah. worth it. But I think that, you know, if you were to give some tips, I know that there's lots of amateur runners that will be listening or people that are well, taking up running as a way of getting outside, getting some exercise in. What would you give in terms of advice um, for them with that mindset? You know, if they're going out for a long run, 
Are there things that you would use to, and I, I listened to a podcast that you were on recently that said, you know, you used to break down each, each mile into like, well, I've only got this amount of minutes. I've got this to do. Are there any other sort of tips that you've got for people that are, that are trying to get better at running and that are getting out, um, you know, for sort of longer runs? Well, I think first and foremost, um, is join up with a, a group, uh, a group of friends or a run club or a running club. Um, just because it's, it's easier if you've kind of got the social side as well um to help each other through long runs and through workouts and things like that yeah. and if you really want to improve you've kind of got to include those key areas the long run and and the workout session so making that fun and having somebody else there to go through it with you and motivate you can really really help yeah. and setting targets and goals and working towards those goals so Nobody just goes in and does something straight away. You've got yes. to set a plan and work towards it. And that plan has to be flexible too because we are all real people. Things happen. We get sick. We get a load of work uh, and we have to move things around. And forcing yourself to do something just because it's written down on paper as part of the plan isn't always the best move. So I think being able to recognize, okay, I feel really tired today. I've got all this going on. I need to just take an easy day and then try and do that hard thing another day right. will reap benefits in the long term because you'll get more out of the session than when you do it properly. Right. And yeah, trying to be focused really helps. And that's what my counting technique was that I kind of developed in training, um, but really implemented it in the marathon because it really helped me to stay focused. And one of the things we talked about a lot was you've got to be in the moment. Right. But you need to be really aware of the big picture too. So you have to know how far you've got to go. You have to know what's going on in the race around you. You have to know what's coming up and what's going on with your rivals and when the next drinks table is and lots of things. But you also basically just need to think about one foot in front of the other. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what counting did for me. It enabled me to break a mile down into much smaller segments. So if I counted to 103 times, that was a mile. So it told me where in the mile I was, but it also gave me something else to focus on, which number comes next. And it was really straightforward no. uh, and really simple that I could do when I was really tired and stop me worrying about things that were outside of my control. Yeah. Mine wouldn't be 300. Mine would be more like 800. <laughs> it's not 300 now. We'll, we'll go with it. <laughs> we'll be back after this. Welcome back to Give Me Strength. Can you tell me about some of your most challenging moments in your career? Things that you found really, really difficult to overcome, injuries. Um, how did you sort of navigate these? What got you to focus on the bigger picture, like you just said? Well, I mean, sometimes it is really hard. And one of the first things for me that was really, really hard was my foot injury in uh, 1994. Um so my navicular collapsed and there's the bone in the arch of the foot and that caused a stress fracture um, and it wasn't diagnosed at the time. So a couple of times they diagnosed it as ligament damage, set it in plaster for three weeks, came out and I ran and it still hurt. I saw a lot of people um, was getting pretty desperate. And at one point I saw somebody who said, okay, you're never going to be able to, to run again. And I can still remember going home, crying to my dad what? and saying, they said, oh, I'm not going to be able to run anymore. And my dad's like, because my dad's very practical like me, and he's just like, okay, well, lots of people go through life and they don't run. Doesn't mean you can't do something else. We can think of something else that you want to do. I'm like, oh, you don't understand. I don't want to do something else. I want to run. So I've got to find a way to get it better. So then I started calling um, a lot of people that had had similar foot injuries, and I 
finally managed to get a number for Roger Black and I called him and he recommended Dr. Müller-Wolfert in Germany. And I was um, actually about to go abroad um, for my year abroad at university and I was working in Germany for the first five months of that. And so I got an appointment and I flew from Dusseldorf down to Munich to, to see him and he looked at it and by then I, I knew it was a stress fracture but it just w wasn't getting better uh, and he was able to to treat it and to give me a whole series of exercises to take out a lot of fluid from the joints yeah. um, and basically to get it stable enough with the help of orthotics and, and things like that to be able to, to get back running again. One of the things that was really clear about him was from the beginning there was never any question he was like you will run again yeah. we will do this uh, it's going to be hard and it's going to take a lot of your time and I okay. can't give you a time scale but you will yeah. and I was back the following so that was November I was back racing just after Christmas and I, I raced wow, the world nice. cross country in March I finished 18th it wasn't great but it was certainly a huge step back for me yeah and um so that was a really big obstacle to to get over. Yeah. Uh, and it took a lot of perseverance and a lot of support from my family and my, my coach and the whole team around me to be able to do that. Um, and probably the biggest one in terms of actually getting on with the rest of my career. Um, the other one, like really big for me, would have been the Olympics. Um, but that was never something that I felt like, okay, immediately after Athens, there were what concerns and worries had I done damage to my body had something happened there that I wouldn't be able to compete again but it was short-lived in terms to, to of what I've gone through with my foot um so it was really just more getting over the mental trauma yeah. of Athens rather than the physical side of it yeah and do you feel like as well because the Olympics is so much of a of a world stage and there's so many eyes on you did you almost feel like that was added pressure with that one um it was added pressure from the minute that I got injured um because when it's all going well, that kind of pressure just always seemed to, to bounce off me. It didn't yeah. worry me when I was running well because I was just going to do my best and that was the best that I could do anyhow. Right. It's when you're injured and you know you're not going to be able to do your best or you're scared you're not going to be able to do your best. That's when you notice all of the external um, pressures. And I think the thing was because of what happened in Athens, the Olympics became a bigger deal for me. Yeah. Um, because it didn't work out that time. It does. Then you've got to wait four years for the next one. It's not like the World Championships doesn't work out once. You can try yeah. again in two years. It's actually the same level of competition. Um, but when it didn't work out twice and I'd finished fourth in the one before that, um, which was good at the time, but I was frustrated with not to get a medal, oh, um, then it started to become a bigger deal and maybe to, to weigh on me. Uh, a lot more yeah. and I think that's what's tough about the Olympics is the fact that it is once every four years aside from when COVID hits it never moves yeah. and it is always there and mm -hmm. particularly coupled with a distance like the marathon it's hard to get it right for one day every four years I, like, I can't even imagine the amount of tapering and, and programming that goes into doing you know on a macro scale you have four years you know to prepare for but then on a micro scale you've got so many other things that can happen within that time that it's just, it must be such a huge challenge and, and, and a huge amount of pressure. Um, and going from your most challenging moments, I'd love to hear from your perspective what your highlights are. What are the things that you really cling on to that you say, those are some of the best moments of my career? Oh, um, in the career, there's lots. I mean, def that, that work first World Cross Country in Boston in 1992 was very special because that's the one that gave me the belief Very. that I could. Um, 
make a career out of it and I could be successful uh, on the international stage as a senior. And then at the same time, winning the senior one in 2001 was huge for me yeah. because it had been a goal for nine years and I hadn't been able to do it. I'd come close a couple of times, but I hadn't been able to win it. And so to finally do that was a big thing for me personally and also in terms of moving on to the marathon because it meant I could draw a line under the cross country I'd achieve my potential there and I could move on fully to the marathon. Um, the Commonwealth Games in Manchester was huge. I didn't get the chance to compete in 2012, um, but that Commonwealth Games, the major championships on home soil, that Manchester crowd was amazing. Uh, it was a very, very special experience, as was the European Championships just after. I mean, there was virtually no one in the stadium that time, but the fact that it was taking the European record um, from Ingrid Christensen, who was such a huge um, idol of mine growing up, yeah. uh, that was really, really important moment too. Oh, sorry, I'm listing loads here. No, <laughs> please do. The first marathon in London. career. first marathon in London as well, because it was my yeah. first one and it was the first experience of that magic that is yeah. the London Marathon for a British athlete, which until you've actually run it, I don't think you can fully grasp and fully understand. So you never forget your first one. But the um, last one was very special too. And the world records were also important in there. So course. London it <laughs> has a lot of a lot of happy memories for me. Uh, and New York does too. Yeah. Moving on, and I actually, you know, I think there's some there's something that I feel must have been a challenge, but I'd love to hear from your perspective how you found it. But really digging into body image, comparison. I think as a marathon runner, so many of us will look at the physique that's needed or that, that we see presented in marathon runners. Did you ever feel a pressure in that sense? And, um, you know, like we said earlier, the fact that social media didn't exist was probably a huge tick in, in your favor. But did you ever feel a pressure in that sense? And do you, um, did you find navigating body image throughout your career? And then also when you retired, did you find that that then changed it as well and it gave it kind of different perspective? I guess the, the short answer is no. Um, but I think the, more, the older that I've got, the more I've really realised and appreciated how fortunate I was by the surrounding I had growing up. Um, and my mum and dad, my grandparents were always really keen to stress the importance of food as, as, a, as a fuel, but also as nutrition and as something to enjoy. Um, and that your body naturally finds. So everybody has something good in their body. And what works well for me in sport is not necessarily what another woman might think is an amazing body, but I don't have a problem with that because it helped me achieve a lot in sport. Okay. And my feet are completely messed up now and they're horrible to look at. But <laughs> I don't, sometimes I look at them and think, oh, but I actually don't care because they've really helped me uh, a lot and, yeah. and I owe them a lot. Um, so I think getting that perspective there really, really helped um, to be able to, to not worry. I didn't really worry about things like that. Um, I was in Kenya over Christmas and someone came up to me and said, my God, I thought you were massive. I said, no, the girls I raised were just tiny. And, um, so they, they must have thought I was some kind of six foot something giant. Yeah. <laughs> um, because I was always racing alongside these really short, shorter girls. Um, so I think I never felt that I couldn't compete with them because I was a different build to them yeah, because of the role models before me. So Sonia O'Sullivan is taller than me, I think. Um, Liz McCoggan is roughly the same height. Ingrid Christensen a little bit smaller, but roughly the same height. Greta Weiss yeah, is the same. So I had seen people my build yeah. be successful. So I never thought of it as a reason that I couldn't be. Yeah. Um, in the same way that when I was diagnosed with asthma, the best thing that my 
local GP said to me was, this isn't going to stop you doing your sport. You're just going to have to learn to manage it and yeah. cope with it, but it's not going to stop you achieving everything that you want to do and that you're capable of doing. Um, and I think that was really important that that was kind of stressed to me and that I had a very positive relationship with, with food uh, and with my body and my body was successful. I was also very lucky. I went through puberty very, very gradually. Yeah. So I didn't have any sudden huge surges. I just grew really, really gradually. Um, and so I never had that period where people suddenly grow and then they've got no strength and strength needs to catch up. And I didn't really go through that so much. So I think that really helped me in terms of sport and it was pretty much the perfect progression then. Um, and I think had I, I didn't, but had I hit that point where I'd started to try and lose too much weight, I think my coach and my mom would have been on me like that. Yeah. Um, because it was really important. They were there at the end of races. Mom and dad were always with a snack as soon as it finished. I wasn't allowed to go out for a day of racing without a really good proper breakfast to keep me going for the whole day. So I really understood the importance of, of that growing up. And yeah. that's what I try and pass on to, to my kids now. Yeah, I was going to say in terms of the conversations that you have with your kids, has it ever come up where you, where you sort of discuss body image and you talk about confidence and comparison? Yeah, and it also comes up and I drive them crazy because if I get sick... I always have to eat the right things. So I have lots of orange juice, lots of vitamin C to try and get better and put all these nutrients into me. So I'm trying to make them do that. And my daughter, if she gets sick, she doesn't want to eat or drink anything. And so I just drive her. She's like, oh, I'm not like you. I said, no, but you still have to put the fuel inside you to, to get better. Yeah. Um, and they definitely do, I, I think, because they've grown up seeing that. Yeah. I hope they both ha have a healthy relationship. My son's way too fussy um, for my liking, but I'm trying to make him understand that that he does need to to kind of broaden what he does eat but he does eat healthily yeah and that they need to see the strengths and the positives in their body so everybody's body is different um but it's all right for something definitely and actually talking about family you know you've referenced your mum and dad I, I also heard you talking in a podcast about your grandma who sounds amazing uh, and also when you talk about your kids it seems as though family is is really important to you and <laughs> I think you know if you have that support network and that support structure Everything seems so much more possible, I think. But um, yeah. I know that you've spoken really bravely about your daughter's journey through her cancer diagnosis, which must have been devastating, particularly, I guess, during COVID as well, even more challenging. But how did you find coping with such a difficult time? And obviously talk about it as much or as little as you, as you feel comfortable. Um, no, I mean, I think for me, having the support team around me um, and being able to stick to the plan it is what really helped us. Uh, and I think I always try and look at the positives in any situation. And we were very, very fortunate to, to live where we do, to have it um, reacted to as quickly as possible. If anything, for the timing of it, COVID was actually a blessing because I wasn't working. So I didn't have to go through that dilemma yeah. of I'm not able to work because I need to be with my daughter because I didn't have any work anyway. Um, and it wouldn't have been a difficult decision had it been there, but it was completely taken away and she didn't need to think, oh, okay, I'm taking my mum away from work. What are we going to do? Because that wasn't there either. So I think that actually did really help us to kind of be in our own little family support bubble and just get with it day by day. And I think my grounding and my experiences, everything that I'd built up, the resources from sport really helped me um, because everything you do is about this is the plan. The plan is going to work. We're going to stick to it. Um, and we could see it. 
working. We could see the tumour shrinking with the chemo. So even though on the one hand I could see the impact it was having on Isla and it was completely draining and it's really hard to, as a parent, to see your yeah. child go through that. Yeah. And the guilt that comes on for not having spotted it sooner or is it something I did um, that caused this? Um, that was where the, the hospital staff was so great. They said, look, okay, this is completely treatable. We have caught it soon enough. So you don't need to feel guilty about anything there. This is nothing that you did. Yeah. Uh, and this is nothing to do with where you live or any power lines that run near you or all the things that go through your head. They yeah. were really good at reassuring me with that. And so just then just sticking to that plan uh, and going through it and being able to have that even if it was only 20 minutes where I could kind of sneak out just to clear my head work out my frustration have my time running while Gary was able to to visit Isla because they would only let one of us in the room with her at any time so he would come visit I would go for a run um but that run was so beneficial for me in terms of I mean it wasn't some days it was very very slow because of all yeah. the stress and lack of sleep and things but just to help me have more energy to go back and be more supportive to her afterwards and just to to process emotions. It's always been something that I've used for that. So yeah. that's why I think I was lucky that I had those things to to rely on. And I had a great team of friends around me who were there. Basically, there's anything you can't do because you're in hospital with Isla or you're with Isla. This is what we're going to do to help out. And they were amazing. And how's she doing now? She's brilliant. She's um, She's doing really well now. She's now... Just over a year, all clear. Amazing. Um, so she goes for checkups every three months. Um, we're pretty certain that the other ovary is fine at, at the moment. So um, they keep checking on that. And she's getting back. She's got back into hockey. She's starting to get back into into running, which it, it's difficult for teenage girls that stop to start again. So that's been one yeah. of the things that's been really hard. At the same time, she's juggling. So it is a lot on her plate. Um and it's just trying to now say, so, okay, you don't have running doesn't have to be competitive. It can actually be something that just helps you cope with everything else oh, yeah. that's going on. And I think you demonstrated that perfectly. And I think, you know, just you talking about the headspace that running brings, you know, mm -hmm. even when you stop competing and you don't have that focus of a goal, you know, just getting out and moving your body can be such a relief to so many people. And and particularly when you're going through such a challenging time, like you said, it doesn't have to be the fastest run ever it doesn't have to be the best one you've ever done but it's just putting one foot in front of the other and I think yeah. that's an amazing motto to live by it's just the feel good of just kind of you come back from a run I there are very few times in my life when I and usually because I've got injured when I've come back from a run feeling worse than when I went definitely my final few questions um I would love to know uh what brings you joy now obviously a lot I'm guessing a lot of people probably think you know once you retire from from such a successful career how do you get your kicks now? Obviously, you still run, uh, but what brings you joy now? Lots of things. I think um, when you do retire is when you can actually look back on all of the good things that happen in your career and probably take a little bit more time to actually appreciate them. Because at the time, you're always moving on. It's like, okay, that is great and it's a huge big thing to me, but I'm now aiming for that. And you kind of keep moving on. It's only when you retire that you look back and think, actually... That was really good. Um, and I'm really proud of that. And even if it doesn't stand anymore, I'm still really proud of it uh, and things like that. Yeah. Um, and I think then also moving over to other areas of my life um, and doing things sometimes that are outside of my comfort zone, um, doing things with my kids gives me a lot of joy. And then sometimes it's really just simple now. Like I'm, I'm really lucky that I live in a beautiful place to go running. Um, yeah. And sometimes just to go running, just to be the only person up there and look at the view and think, actually, 
it is pretty good right here and now. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think sometimes we, you know, we we, we search for joy in so many places. Yeah. And maybe it's, you know, a lot of the time it's about bringing it back to, it's not buying things, it's not doing fancy things. It's actually just sometimes getting out for a nice walk and just looking at a view and being like, life is good. Yeah, I think that's yeah. such a... And just a, taking the time to appreciate it. And think, definitely, okay. definitely. And in terms of your legacy, obviously you will leave an incredible one in, in, in the running community. Um, but do you have any specific things that you'd like to leave as part of, you know, your stamp on on running and, and on particularly on, on long distance running? Oh, well, uh, <laughs> um, the, the mottos that I always tried to, to live by were just to find out how good I could be uh, and be the best that I could be, but fairly. Um, and definitely kind of that that fairness side of it is really important to me yeah. that it is a level playing field that we try as much as possible to kind of keep cheats out of the sport and to give everybody uh, a fair opportunity to see how good they can be yeah um, and to just push those personal boundaries and I think that really brings it back to everything that you, that you seem like you're about with running it's about fun it's about enjoying it it's about pushing yourself but you know but also enjoying that process and, and doing it with other people around you that are, that are you know having the same good time so I think it's amazing to finish on that note and um, I'm so grateful for your time today and, and for everything that you shared with us I think there's so much that can be taken from sport that goes outside of just the physical. And I think it's always so nice to speak to people like yourself who really bring it back to, you know, that it's that it's so multifaceted and that your mindset, your approach, your upbringing, your community, everything matters. And all of that can make for such a positive experience with sport. And, you know, I hopefully you've inspired quite a few people right now to lace up their trainers and go out for a run. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Paula. I hope you have a great rest of your day. And, and yeah, look, thank you. You too. Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. I would love it if you could take some time to rate, review and follow the podcast as it really helps others to find it. We have a new episode dropping each week so this will also ensure you don't miss out. See you next time.